Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, if I could turn to me this morning to the book of Jeremiah chapter 48. Jeremiah chapter 48. Hallelujah. I made up a new saying the last three months. Man had no greater fear than Friday morning of conference. I cannot think of a greater uh, opportunity and a greater privilege, but I also can't think of anything that intimidates me more. So I hope you've been praying for me. Praise the Lord. I want to uh, preach a sermon that I have entitled, The Pink Agenda. The Pink Agenda out of Jeremiah chapter 48. And I want to tell you how I came about, uh, how I came to preach about this was, we had a we have uh, two large outreaches in San Diego County for the San Diego churches uh, during the summer, and we do this at a park. And we were out there. Uh, we, you know, it's it's incredible. Every each church has we have 17 churches in San Diego County. Each church has a separate tent, and you know it's like the tribes of Naphtali, you know, and the tribe of Joseph, and and all of these tents are out there. And we uh, outreach, witness, and uh, play bands and things. But as we were leaving. There was a, another church there that began this, uh, the, what they called an outreach. And it uh, was a number of women that were dancing around this man who was in mime face. And as I looked at this, I, I thought, this is the only man amongst them. The other uh, men are standing around. This is a real church. Uh, uh, looked like a pretty a large church. And uh, it's this whole thing is these women dancing uh, around this thing. This was how they outreach uh, with this church. What I didn't tell you was that I had uh, spoken to them earlier because I thought they were with us. And I sometimes will go from tent to tent and talk to people, uh, eat their food. And, uh, and uh, I had spoken to this, this, these people and I asked them, I said, uh, are you with us? Oh, well, we're, we're called Praise Chapel. And I asked him who their pastor was, and they said their pastor was Larry Neville. And uh, this greatly bothered me because I understood that these people had heard Pastor Mitchell preach at one time. And now the entire church uh, was entirely run by women. And this really bothered me. It bothered me for some time. This is why I wrote this sermon. I want to uh, say at the beginning of the sermon that a sermon on men ought not to offend women. Can you say Amen. That is, if you don't have issues uh, with the feminist uh, issues and, and those type of things, that it ought not to offend you. You ought to want us to be able to raise men in this congregation. Can you say amen? So let me get started. There's a little joke that goes like this. If a man speaks in a forest and there is no woman there to tell him that he's wrong, is he still wrong? The reason why you think that's funny is because that's exactly where our generation is at today. The man is always wrong. He never gets it right. And it doesn't matter uh, whether you want to fight with me or not because I'm loaded for bear this morning. Okay? I've got illustration after illustration after illustration of exactly what I'm talking about. And I want you to just look out of the book of Jeremiah chapter 48 verses 14 through 17. And then we'll move on to a few other scriptures as well. Jeremiah chapter 48, verse number 14. How say ye, we are mighty men and strong men for the war. Moab is spoiled and gone up out of her cities, and his chosen young men are gone down to the slaughter, saith the king whose name is the Lord of hosts. Father, I ask you this morning to please help me and to help this congregation as well, Lord God. I pray that we would never become what Larry Neville has produced. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, Amen. 
So uh, that, that's kind of mean-spirited. Uh, he used to be my pastor, so uh, I, I might have something to say about it. Uh, I visited him in the Philippines in, the ni- in 1988 before I was even a pastor. Uh, and, uh, but I, I'm very, very disappointed on what he has produced. This scripture poses a question that we might want to consider ourselves here this morning. Namely, how can we sit back and watch the spiritual slaughter of our young men and yet call ourselves strong men for war? And in this portion of Scripture, it's basically talking about men who have already established themselves. They have dominion in their marriages. They have dominion. They are leaders uh, of the, of, of the uh, nation here. And yet, their young men are being slaughtered in the process or in the process of being slaughtered. How say ye that you're a mighty man of war when a large portion of our young men are being slaughtered by what I call the pink agenda? How can we call ourselves mighty men of war while our young men are being slaughtered? And I want to speak to you and want you to consider for a few moments uh, and about this all-out attack against the male spirit and especially towards our young and impressionable young men. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 28 says, When the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. But when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. And what has happened with our young men is that they are spending time in school, they spend time on the job, and they are being demasculated there. Then they come to church, and sometimes it even happens in the church. And we wonder why we can't produce any men of God that want to do anything for God, that have the spirit of conquest, that want to do something for God because they've been feminized by the society that's around them. The wicked have risen to power in the most crucial places where our young people spend most of their time, which is in school, and in the early job situations that they have. We have uh, gone from boys need to play with dolls to queer eye for a square guy. Okay? This is what has happened to our nation was we, uh, ta- uh, Spock came out with a book in the 1960s uh, about how uh, yeah, uh, we need to feminize our boys. It was basically don't discipline your kids, don't, don't do this. And now we have, uh, I mean, the actual, I can't believe a show is even on the air. Uh, they're called uh, uh, Queer Eye for a Straight Guy. Uh, it's an, it's an ima- immediate slam upon every man who has any type of testosterone in his bloodstream. The wicked have risen to power and our young men have been the worst affected and it has stolen their glory. Matthew Henry puts it this way, Good men abscond, despairing to do good and fearing to be ill-treated. They abscond and will not do what they're supposed to do as men because they're fearful. And this is speaking not just about regular men but also especially about godly men. The enemy of our cause knows this, and this is why he has raised the wicked where our young spend most of their time in school, in work, and in these different areas. There's an organization called the EEOC. It's the Equal Employment Opportunity Corporation. This organization is doing nothing but trying to demasculate men. Men can't have an opinion on their job about homosexuality. They get fired. And I have, I've got illustrations of people in my church that have been fired simply because they made one statement and they were taken in the office and fired because they were against homosexuality. I want to talk to you first of all about the power of shame. The power of shame. This works both for the good and for the bad. If you look up shamed in the dictionary, it means to force by causing one to feel guilty. And I want especially the young men to listen to me because this is what's going on in your life. And, uh, and I'm going to get to a scripture in just a moment that the older men are supposed to be trying to help you to live for God and trying to figure out what is happening to you. You don't even know what's happening to you. This is why you're wearing girl jeans.
is that? Okay. Because you've been feminized. You, you, you don't even know what's happening to you. That's just the fashion of the day. The power of shame. Let me, let me explain it to you this way. John Bunyan, not Paul with the big ox, but Paul, or John Bunyan, was a writer who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. This man got saved in a very interesting way. He was, before he got saved, a very profane man. I want to explain to you how shame works. He was a very profane man, so one day he was on the street and he was cussing out one of his uh, uh, compatriots. A woman heard this cuss out uh, session, and as she walked by, she stopped and she looked at him and she said to him, You are the most ungodly fellow for swearing that ever I have seen in my entire life. She carried on and said, You are able to spoil all the youth in a whole town if but they came into your company. He was so convicted by this statement that it eventually drew him to church. He got saved and he went on to write Pilgrim's Progress in 1678. This man was shamed and it was a good thing. Can you say amen? Okay. Jesus himself, when he was talking about uh, the cities of Tyre and Sidon, he said, uh, if, if, if this gospel had been preached, uh, to speaking about to Bethesda and Chorazin, he said, if this gospel had been preached there, they would have repented long ago. See, shame can be used for the good and for the bad. But in this, in what I'm speaking about is that it's being used for the bad. Shame is an effective weapon even used by Jesus. Satan is successfully producing a generation of men that are ashamed of who they are. This is why when you speak to them, you can hardly hear them when they respond. Uh, what's your name? What? Uh, no, speak up, son. Yeah, and this is why they, they're ashamed of who they are. They have been uh, beaten down in the public schools and the different areas where they are at. This is why you can hardly hear them when they speak. This is why they don't have an opinion about anything. You notice that church kids have an opinion about nothing. They're not committing to anything, okay? Because if they do, if they say something and they have an opinion about it, then we might hold them accountable for it. But this is what's happening to them is that they are being beaten down in the public schools. They have the, no idea what they want to do with their lives. 57% of people in college today are women. 57% and 43% of them are men. I wonder where those girls are going to get husbands. As he is uh, shoveling ditches uh, and she has a PhD uh, in neurology. <sighs> Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? What this is speaking about, this bewitching, is shaming. It's the same thing. And bewitching in the dictionary says to influence or to affect especially injuriously or to cast a spell over. This is exactly what has happened to our young men in our society. Can everybody say amen with me? I'm glad that you're still with me. Picked up this article uh, out of the USA Today. Uh, I just Sometimes I throw that across the room. It just makes me so mad. But uh, there was an article in there about the faces uh, of uh, the governor and Justin Timberlake. And this article was about the way that people perceive these two individuals by the looks on their faces. It's become unpopular to be a male in this generation unpopular to be a male. And this article is about how uh, it says no saving faces, masculine features can be threatening. And it goes on to talk about his strong brow and his strong chin. And, but they like Justin Timberlake with his finger pushed up with his chin. He doesn't have a chin. Okay? 
And be, this is what women are looking for in their men now. They want a weak man. They're looking for a weak man. I've even seen this in some of our young ladies that are looking for husbands. They want somebody who's not a real man, somebody who won't cause them any trouble. I'll, I'll tell you this, he's also going to be worthless, by the way. Because he doesn't, he doesn't have any testosterone uh, in his blood. And that's unfortunate. And this is what's happening. This is why he's not going to cause any trouble, but he's also not going to cause any good. They're shamed everywhere they go. Shamed in the press. Shamed every, every, absolutely everywhere. This, I, you probably can't see this, but this was an article about uh, in Mexico where they're dressing their boys up to be girls. That's a girl, right? That's a boy right there. If you can see that, some of you, that's, that's for the video. You got that right there? Okay, great. <laughs> that's a boy. But let me read to you what it says. In Yucatan, Mexico, daughters are more valuable than sons, so mothers are encouraging their boys to become girls. And they have a, a celebration every uh, four days. They're celebrating something down there, uh, is what they say. And they become popular decorators for everybody else. And it's become very, very popular. And they're not just homosexuals, but these are women that are trying to feminize their boys because it gets them further along uh, in the economic status of things. So, oh, pastor, pastor, don't go there. Oh, I will. I shall. You know, Hillary's slogan for running for president is, uh, it takes a woman to clean up the house. That's her whole slogan. She's going to say, we're going to come out and we're going to clean up the thing that the men did. Uh, because that, it beca and that sells. That's popular. That's, that's just how, and that, it's a very good advertisement. If I was her press agent, I'd be doing the same thing because it's unpopular to be male. You don't believe that? Read the advertisements nonstop. Here's another one right here. The faces of America's unions. Male, pale, and stale. How long, how, you know, how, where have we gotten in our society today that you could actually use their maleness as an advertising against them? But that's exactly where we've gotten to uh, in our society. It doesn't matter. I, I've got uh, article after article. This article here was a, another article trying to shame fathers into being concerned about their uh, purity of their daughters. I mean, this, this article is, is written by an uncovered lesbian. And I say, well, you know, who, basically she's saying, leave them to us. Leave your daughters to us, is what she's saying. And she's trying to shame men out of being fathers because it's talking about these chastity balls that some of the churches are doing uh, and these type of things. It's become incredibly unpopular to be male. Those who be, won't be ashamed of their, their maleness will eventually join what is called the ghetto nation. This ghetto nation uh, is, a is, is not just black. Uh, it, there's an, I have an article that says it's not just a black thing. It's become a brown and a white thing. These are the white people with all their tattoos up to their necks. They will never get a job, thank you very much. He'll be working at Circle K for the rest of his life. He's tatted out, uh, you know, like somehow this is a tremendous thing. Uh, the, the ghetto nation is, is surrounding us. And so you have males that won't be shamed. Who say, well, at least I'll just go join the ghetto nation where I, at least I can cuss and fight like the rest of real men do. Cora Daniels wrote in her book of that same title that it celebrates the worst in human nature. But men that will not be shamed choose this because at least, at least they can fight and cuss and don't have to become little girls. Can you say amen? You say, well, pastor, that's so sexist of you. You'll only say that until you have a son. 
I said, I, I, I had three daughters. I've got three daughters. So I am a father of daughters. And I love my daughters. And I love my wife. But that doesn't negate what's happening to our young boys. It doesn't negate what's happening to our young boys. And then I had a son while we were in South Africa. And I want to tell you, your perspective changes. And there's many mothers here that are saying, Pastor, just preach it. I thank God that you're saying something about this. You must just, you just need to get this because it's throughout the Bible. Judges chapter 9 verse 53 says, A certain woman cast a piece of millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his head. Then he called hastily to the young man, his armor bearer, and sayest unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew me. God doesn't rebuke him for that at all. In fact, he's encouraged. This is tremendous. Slay me. He says he called for his young armor. Come quickly. Come quickly before they say that a woman killed me. You see, men would rather be dead than dissed by a woman. They would rather be dead than dissed by a woman. You need to remember that. And this, you say, well, pastor, why don't you preach this at a men's discipleship? Because these girls in there were with us tonight. You're also part of the family of God. Can you say Amen. And you are also helping to develop these men. And you are aware of what's going on. If there's demasculating going on in your church, then you are aware of it and you can bring a stop to it. That's why I'm preaching it here. I, I, took, I preached at a church and I took one of my disciples with me and uh, did the service. And uh, we were driving back and uh, I asked him what he thought about the service. And he said to me, he said, if I was a sinner man, I would never go back to that church. That was the fellowship church, by the way. I would never go back to that church because of the way that they did their song service, the way that they handled themselves behind the pulpit. He said, that place has got an effeminate spirit. I said, well, he just needs to get saved. No, you're not going to steal his manhood from him. Let me, let me say this to you as well. Most men understand when somebody's trying to castrate them. They can feel it. Something's tugging. And they understand it. And so that's why they go to some of these churches and it's like, get me out of here. You know, we went and visited a few churches when we were uh, just getting started in South Africa. And I want to tell you, man, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I couldn't wait because I could feel the dissing. I could feel the animosity against the male spirit. I said, get me out of here, honey. And we never went back. We, some of us, I just gave up and just started my church. Uh, you know, I was trying to give it a little bit of time, but I had to get started so I could build a place where men could feel comfortable. Shamed in church. It's been a slow process, but somehow the church also has become anti-male. There was a saying amongst the, amongst the Irish Catholics of Boston that went like this. The church is for little old ladies of both sexes. Let that sink in just for a moment. The church is for little old ladies of both sexes. It became womanly to go to church and manly to stay away from church. And this is what Pastor Mitchell discovered. This is why he was excited last night when he was talking about those men in Moscow. If you have a feminist spirit, you remember that because it struck you that it wasn't right. Where, what about the women? We, understand, we love our women. We, I have respect for women. You want to talk about respect for women? There's more respect in this tent tonight, today than there is in all of Prescott, Arizona for women.
the priests of the Irish Catholics in Boston in those days had to be pretty tough guys. And the reason why was because they were all Catholics, but they would drink on Friday and Saturday, spend all of their money on those things. Then they would all go to church on Sunday. The pastor would be there, and the wife would go over and talk to the pastor and explain uh, that Mr. Caldwell had been in trouble again. That he had drunk in the entire salary on Friday and Saturday. And so he would normally get a visit on Monday night, and that pastor had to be tough because sometimes he had to beat up the man that was there. So these Irish Catholic, these priests, that's why you see them, they're kind of burly, is that they would show up, and sometimes they'd have to give that husband a thrashing. You say, well, uh, that's the way it was. Okay, and these uh, these Irish, and that's why another reason why the church became for little old women of both sexes because it was the pastor and the woman against the man. Okay, and God help you, sister, if you're going to your pastor every single service to complain about the man that God gave you. Yeah, yeah, that God gave you. You remember that, right? Given to you. It became the pastor and the wife against the man phenomenon. Somehow the church attendance became womanly, and thus men stayed away at their own peril, but they stayed away nonetheless. They say the statistics, and I don't know if I have these right or not, but 70% of Muslims are male, 60% of Jews are male, or at least that are participating in the religion, and 35% of Christians are male. In some Pentecostal circles, it's become 80% women and 20% men. You see, the reason why that is is because this thing started early with Pentecostals. Can everybody say amen? This thing started early with Pentecostals, and yet it's creeping into the entire church. Let me give you an example of how the church worships at the altar of the maternal. A young girl gets saved, and she is, uh, she's, is living for God, and some of the older sisters in the church, they come and sidle up next to her, give her a note, tell her that she's uh, done a good thing. Uh, they encourage her. They, 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 they make phone calls. They're, you know, they're there to support her, which women should do. This is a tremendous thing that they're doing, and they should be praised for it. Can everybody say amen? They're exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit, which are mentioned in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And so uh, they're, they're exhibiting the uh, right things. They're doing the right things. James 3.18 says, And the fruit of the righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And, but see, men read those scriptures and they say, I can never add up. I can never be like that because it's, if to be a woman is to be a Christian. It's like their very natures are Christian. This is where Mary worship came from. Is that they didn't get as much, in as much trouble as males. And so because of that, they were better people. How can a man ever add up here? Let me explain to you how he can add up here. A young man gets saved. He's been doing some stupid, weak stuff. Maybe, uh, you know, flirting with a sinner girl at work or whatever. And he tells his brother at church that. Uh, and so his, his brother at church pats him on the shoulder and, in the back of the church and goes, Hey, quit acting like a fag. So. said, did you just say fag in your sermon? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And you see, he's also exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> that's a great statement. I think that's a great statement. Hey, quit acting like a fag. Okay? It's a tremendous statement. The gifts of the Spirit are dripping all over it. I want you to know it. He's taking his life in his hands. You don't call a guy a fag for, for no reason and, and not go to blows. 
and yet he's taken his life in his hands. He's done a good thing. It's the fruits of the Spirit. It's just not notes and phone calls. But see, the woman will be praised for sending the notes, but the man will never be thanked for rebuking the faggotness in his buddy. We have come to the point where we worship at that which is womanly and despise that which is manly. Men see this in the church of Jesus Christ, and this is why they stay away in mass. I know we got a shout out when they named a drink after us, who's your daddy? But basically, <laughs> basically, it's an anti-male spirit in the generation that you and I live in. This is the same thing uh, uh, that women don't see, that men need other men to sort them out and make them right with God. They need other men to make them right with God. And when a man says that to a brother, amen, he's, t- he's doing a good thing. First of all, he's keeping him from being a sodomite, which they'll spend eternity in hell. Okay? And secondly, he's keeping him from doing stupid stuff because a man understands that. He's getting sorted out. That's how men work with each other. But it's not appreciated because it's too rough. He's a Neanderthal. Amen. Watch what you say. I always watch what you say. Calm down. Don't have any opinions about anything. Calm down. Why can't you be more like your sister? Why do we have national take your daughter to work day? And we don't have national take your son to work day? Focus on the family is picking this up as well. My family have every single focus on the family, adventures and odyssey you can possibly imagine. We were missionaries and we lived on those things. Thank you very much. <laughs> but let me tell you this, they're also becoming anti-male. There was one of them where they're talking, they're going away for some reason, the family's going away and the husband's staying home and the woman turns to the man and says to him, oh, don't light the house on fire while I'm gone. Thank you, James. Appreciate that. Let me start by saying that I greatly, greatly appreciate, once again, the women that are sitting here. But that does not negate what's happening to our young men. There's an article in uh, Leadership Magazine by a woman named Sarah Sumner. Sarah Sumner is a uh, continual writer. They just had a big conference in San Diego, uh, I'm sorry to say. And... uh, She was one of the main speakers at that conference, and she wrote an article in the leadership magazine called The Mixed Gender Team. This this paragraph right here is about how women women need to respect men. Okay, so she tried to bring some balance to it, I'm sure. That entire page is about how men need to respect women, and that entire page is about how men need to respect women. This article was written to shame men, pastors and leaders, into hiring women assistant pastors using the using the game of shame once again to make them feel bad about not having women on staff she goes on to talk about in this article about how the senior pastors need to have conversations with the women pastors about sex Oh, that's, that's tremendous, yeah. Uh, a senior man uh, needs to have discussions about sex with his uh, assistant woman pastor. Come on, Sarah, let's get it together. Let's, let's, let's talk about the issues that you have with men. Mixed gender team. In it, she gives one paragraph to how women need to respect men and then vents for the rest of the article about how men need to be shamed into hiring assistant women pastors. And the only reason that they would not is that they have unresolved issues with women. 
It was a big split in the Episcopal Church as of late. Some of you say, well, it's, it's over the homosexual issue. That's not necessarily true. Let me explain to you what happened. They uh, ordained a woman to lead the Episcopal Church. And this woman at the uh, commencement, whatever you want to call it, gave a speech. In that speech, she uh, is talking pro-homosexual and all these other things. Hundreds and hundreds of men are sitting there. All the bishops are sitting there. And as she's speaking, she's giving this speech. She laces her uh, speech, because uh, I don't want to call it a sermon. Uh, she laces her speech with feminist jargon and refers to God as a she. They believe that, and, and men got up, hundreds of bishops got up and walked out of the room and said, I'll have nothing else to do with this woman. They believe that she did this on purpose to upset the men bishops that were sitting there. Contrast that to the woman responsible for John Bunyan's salvation. You see, shame is a, it can be a good thing. Shame on you. Shame on you for the things that you're doing and you should not be doing those things. And so he went and got saved because he was shamed of what he had done. I want to talk to you lastly this morning about and especially to our fathers and our pastors about stopping this slaughter of our choice young men. The church as a whole has failed to see this anti-male spirit was creeping into the church and destroying its men. This is why you have the saying, the church is for little old ladies of both sexes. But they finally came around uh, a few years ago and they started an organization called Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers started off, it looked pretty good, uh, even to some of us that were reading about it. Wow, praise the Lord, this is, this is good, they're getting together. And it turned into a hug fest. I don't know what happened. Uh, originally they had a coach, a football coach, it started it and it, was, it, it seemed to be pretty male at that time. But then they got people into sharing their feelings. You know, men just aren't as good at sharing their feelings. They just struggle with those issues. Once again, then they got some male leaders who began to shame the men and if they wouldn't share their feelings and confess everything that they've ever done and open themselves up a door unto another man that should not be opened. They started a church in Florida called the Church for Men. They wrote a few books about it and it was mentioned in a few different places. But basically, the church has missed completely this issue and it's really, really hurting the church of Jesus Christ. This is why churches are full of women and there are almost no men there. Believe me, your, your men that are sitting with you, they're here today because there's men behind the pulpit. And... You say, well, if he really loved God, he'd go to any church. Okay. Can you say shallow? Can you understand that that's a ridiculous statement? Men will not be dissed. And if a woman drops a stone on their head, like the Episcopal woman did, they will say, slay me, so that no man can say that a woman slew me. Men will not sit in a place where they are being demasculated constantly and consistently and women are lifted up as some type of uh, w gods. We live with women. We know they're not gods. 
Don't even go there. Oh my gosh, you've touched the holy. Shame on me. Shame on me. The Church of Jesus Christ is becoming effeminate. And it's, it's really unfortunate. I, I believe what, one of the things that's going to bring revival to our churches is this very issue. I believe that as they're being demasculated and the women are running around and dancing, woo! you know, as I watch these, this, this poor man, and I want to tell you, it really did break my heart. We were standing with, with some of our people in our church. We were all in the process of leaving, so very few, very few people saw this whole demonstration. But there was one man... Just a young boy standing in the middle of all these girls dancing around him with a painted face and he had just a sad mind face. And man, it just burnt, it just broke my heart to watch this man. And I can just imagine, uh, that was Saturday, uh, uh, and actually that was Monday. I can just imagine they don't have service on Wednesday. That's time for cell group. But, uh, that's another story. <laughs> but next Sunday when they go to church, that he's in church and he's sitting in church and all, there's no men there. It's all women and the women wonder what happened. I saw this in South Africa. As you would go to church on Sunday morning, uh, we'd be driving together with my family, and there were gangs of women going to church together. Because South Africa's a dangerous place. And so they would walk together, and they would wear their shawls. And I want to tell you, you almost never see a male. They're all sitting home watching rugby uh, and drinking a beer. And you say, well, that's really unfortunate. Uh, yeah, it's like that for a reason, trust me. The men have been demasculated and they understand it and they're not going back there. Uh, if, if, if they could find a church where they were not being demasculated, they would come. And I, I really believe this. Please listen to me this morning. I believe that one of the greatest revivals that's going to happen amongst us is that when these men, these men realize what's happening to them, like I said, many of them don't know what's going on to them, uh, going, is happening to them. Once they realize that they're going to come back to the church in mass and they're going to come to this church right here. Praise the Lord. There's a scripture, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29, that says that the strength of a young man, the glory of a young man is his strength. And this is exactly what's being stolen from them, is their strength right out of their bodies. Amen. Their strength is being taken out of them, and they don't even know what's happening to them, but this is what's happening in the world today and in the church. But see, all of these things, these promise keepers and these different things, that's old school compared to what you and I are dealing with. We're dealing with men and men that have come out of Babylon and they are freshly indoctrinated with the philosophies of Babylon. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I preached a sermon in my church called Emos, Metrosexuals, and the God of the Universe. That sermon uh, uh, upset some people, but it wasn't the females that were upset, it was some of the men. Emos, Metrosexuals, in the God of the universe. You know, when I, uh, when, be, when I went to South Africa, there was no such thing as an emo. Emos are something that have come around uh, just as of late as men are being shamed out of their maleness. You know, emos are really players in disguise. Because they're not, uh, most of these emos, they're not homosexual. Oh, they're just faggots and it's the spirit of the world. You know what? The, less than 1% of the population are faggots. But see, these men understand. They're smart. They're not stupid. They realize that it's unpopular to be male. But so they say, if I can just erase everything male about me, then I can get in amongst my favorite subject, which are young women. They're players in disguise. They want the same thing that every other young man wants. And they found a way to do it by acting like a woman. 
want to speak to the pastors here for a moment. There is no doubt that the young men that we are dealing with are damaged goods. They have been told that they're wrong all of their lives. And they have been shamed out of their maleness. This is why they speak so softly. This is why they get offended so easily. They're called snags. Sensitive new age guys. They have lost their distinctive male spirit and they get offended if any other male tells them that they're wrong. Many pastors make the mistake right here of neglecting these young men and say, I'll just wait for them to figure out what time it is. But sometimes they will never figure out what time it is. Some are just waiting for a new group to come into the church. But the fact of the matter is, we said it, we've heard it this week, you've got to work with what God has given you. So I want to give you a few pointers here. Rather than complain about the quality of the raw material, you must develop what is already in your church. You prayed for men, God gave you men, and then you said, send me others. <laughs> I don't like the ones that you gave me. They're too effeminate. They're too easily offended. Uh, these ones don't speak up. They've lost their male spirit. You need to learn how to work with these men because I, you, who knows? The group that could come in after them could be worse. Just a thought, just thought I'd throw that out. Rather than complain about the quality of the raw material, you better start working with what you have already got. A few corrective measures. First of all, be wise in your counseling. Don't assume that he is always wrong. Sometimes, I'll even tell a woman in marriage counseling, I think you are unknowingly trying to over-domesticate your husband. Over-domesticate your husband. Secondly, you need to quit painting your buildings pink. I heard of a pastor that took over a church, and their very first service, they colored it blue, and he added 10 people to the church. The former pastor had allowed his wife to decorate the church. No problem with that, but you go into that church today, you go into the, into the men's toilet, there's a whole thing there about being a man of God. It's all around the entire church, and uh, by golly, he's having revival. Surprise, surprise. But I mean, I, I remember going into that church before, this is pink, and I'm like, what the world is going on here? You know, people start, you know, you're in there, you're drinking your water, you got your pinky up. Mm. I don't even know what's happening to me. <laughs> Quit painting your buildings pink, man. It's all right. Uh, women are wonderful. They're great. Let them paint the house pink, but don't let them paint the church pink. <laughs> Second of all, help your men find their place in the body of Christ by preaching challenging messages. This is part of the reason why the Bible says in the end times they're going to look for teachers who will teach them rather than preachers. Is that they're looking for somebody to mother them and not tell them that they're wrong. And so that's why preaching is get kicked out the window and I'm supposed to sit up on the platform with a sweater and no tie and cross my legs like a woman. And then I'm supposed to teach and then I'm going to put it on the internet and sell it. What a bunch of weak, weak, weak generation that we're dealing with. 
help men to find their place in the body of Christ by preaching challenging messages. I mentioned to you the one disciple that said, I would never go back there if I was a sinner man. You say, well, that's his problem. See, he's in sin. All right, you know, he's thinking like a sinner. No, he's thinking like a man. Many men and many of them have no idea where to start. The older men in the Old Testament and the New Testament, as a young 13-year-old boy would walk up to the uh, podium to uh, read from the Torah, there was an older man that was standing there, and he would hand him the Torah, and, and, and the younger man would see him at 13 years old, and he would say, Thank you, sir. And then he would read from the Torah as he did so. That is part of your responsibility, gray-haired man, 52-year-old old man. Okay. Is to help these young men find their place in the body of Christ. Many of these men have no idea where to start in the body of Christ. And you're telling me, I'm waiting for them to figure it out. I'm waiting for them to figure it out. Hey, quit waiting and start using what God has already given you. Thirdly, don't shame your men because they are, have anger. Redirect their anger. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. I could preach a whole sermon just on the benefits of anger right here, right now. It is a tremendous blessing. Can all the men say, glory? Yes. <laughs> anger is a tremendous attribute. Somebody has said, no man can truly be good unless he knows how to be angry. You cannot truly be a good man unless you know how to get angry, first of all, at yourself. Second of all, uh, at what the devil's doing to you. Second, thirdly, of what the devil's doing to other people. Okay? But somehow we want to domesticate our men so they have no anger. Effeminate, no anger whatsoever. That's completely unallowed. I had a man a while back that punched somebody on an outreach. I said, don't you ever do that again. But good punch. No. <laughs> Redirect their anger. I've got a guy in my church that was into uh, Kari Maga, which is some type of fighting, Kempo Karate, Muay Thai, and kickboxing. You know, this isn't the type of guy that you want to get in trouble with. <laughs> Yeah, Jose told us to be like, no, <laughs> did you like it? That was my favorite phrase from Jose's sermon. Yeah, yeah. Pull you out of the car and teach you a lesson and go, did you enjoy that? I got more where that came from. <laughs> this guy, this guy's been involved in every type of fighting you can possibly imagine. And he, he's one bad dude, just recently got saved in our church. But I don't want to take away his anger. That anger's good. Just redirect it towards the devil and toward what the devil's doing in your life. Yeah, you can say amen. Redirect that so that he can become a man of God rather than take all of that anger out of him. Teach them that it's an honor to be a man of God in this generation. On July 14th of 1852, one of the worst naval disasters occurred off the coast of South Africa. Her Majesty's ship, the Birkenhead, struck a rock shelf and began to sink quickly. The Birkenhead, listen to the story, because this is a powerful story. The Birkenhead was carrying the 78th Highlanders Regiment. These were Scottish warriors who had distinguished themselves in every conflict from the Napoleonic Wars to the Crimea. Also on board with these were their wives and children. It became apparent that the founding ship, foundering ship was going to sink 
There were very few lifeboats aboard. This is a true story. Nevertheless, calm prevailed. Orders were given to place all the women and children in the few lifeboats. There was just enough room for them. The men lined up on the deck and they began to sing Christian hymns. And there was only, these men lined up perfect in perfect military formation on the deck of their piper band played, singing Christian hymns. These Scottish stalwarts went down into the South Atlantic with all of its sharks. No man, listen to this, no man attempted to swim to the heavily laden boats. They realized that this would destabilize those boats, risking the lives of the women and the children. The Birkenhead sank in 20 minutes. Not one woman or child was lost, and not one man survived. Not one man survived. Now, I'm telling that to a a young man in this generation, and they're going to ask me a question. Were they mentally ill? Why didn't they sink to the boat? Why, why didn't they swim over the boats and put their hand on the boat and just try to survive? Why, and these sharks are swimming around them. Why didn't they do that? Because they were taught an issue called chivalry. I know, that's a, I know you know what emo means, but here's a new word, chivalry. Chivalry. The soldiers and sailors of the Birkenhead exercised Christian chivalry. And in times of crisis, men must rise to the occasion, and that occasion is today. The incident so impressed a young poet named Rudyard Kipling that he wrote a poem for these men that went like this. So they stood and was still to the Birkenhead drill, soldier and sailor too. To be courageous thereafter in the nation of England was to do the Birkenhead drill. This is being a man of God, not running around naked so people won't wear fur. That's what they've been taught in the public school. These are heroes that run around naked uh, so that people won't wear fur. Not tying yourself to a tree so they won't cut it down. That's not manhood. That's manhood right there. And you ought to find illustrations, preach challenging messages that bring the man out of the man. Explain to them that God's honor and the poet's ink belong to those that give their glory to God and their lives for other people. The, the, the poet's ink and the honor of God belongs to those who give their lives for other people. Revelations chapter 4 verse number 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things for Thy pleasure. They are and were created. I thought about that as I was reading that. And I said, if a man has no glory, which is his strength, how can he give anything to God? How can he give his glory to God if he has no glory? If the strength has been sucked out of him by the feminist uh, jargon of our day. Explain to them that there were industry giants in England in those days who at that time had given themselves to their careers, but no poem was ever written for them. But it was written for these soldiers who gave their life for other people. God doesn't have the same opinion as the world does when He speaks about men. In fact, in 2 Samuel, it says, Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God. And the Lord do that which seemeth good to Him. Proverbs 20, 20, chapter 20, verse 29, The glory of the young men is their strength and the honor of the old men is their gray hair. Gray hair. Very nice stuff. 
Praise the Lord. You know, and as I was reading that, I began to study about the strength of the young man and the glory of the old man. You know, part of the wisdom of getting older is helping the younger man figure out what's going on to them. That's part of my job as an older man. As I'm getting, I know I don't look that old, but I'm getting older. I'm not 52, but you know, I'm moving that way. Is trying to help these young men figure out what's going on, what's happening to me. That's what's happening to you. You're being shamed out of your maleness. Convince them that if they allow this age to steal their glory, they will have nothing to offer God. I want to give one last word to the young men that are sitting here. Judge the lie. Judge the lie. And do not allow. You know, I was speaking to Terry Haynes. We did the Northwest Conference, and he was telling me that he was in the Starbucks uh, or some coffee shop. I'm sorry, they don't have Starbucks in Carbondale. But um, <laughs> uh, he was in a coffee shop, old school coffee shop, I believe. And he was with some of his guys, and they were having a conversation about things. And they were being men and talking about manly issues. And some older man walked up to Terry Haynes and said, uh, Sir, I don't know who you are, but this is the first time I've heard men speak like men without using cuss words. I'm inspired. Thank you, sir, for having that conversation today. There's an interesting scripture in 1 John 2.13 that I want to give this to the young men and I want you to write it down. I write unto you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. He's going to say it again in just a minute. I write to you dear children because you have known the father. Verse 14 he says it again. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong. Because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. Overcome that evil one. Judge the lie that is being told that is is unacceptable to be male in this generation. Listen to this young man. You are strong and the word of God lives in you and you can overcome the evil one. You're a man and if you let it happen to you, you can blame nobody but yourself. Get yourself out of situations where you're being disrespected. Get yourself into a church of God where you can be rebuked, but at the same time not have your malehood taken from you. I have to say one last thing to these men that are sitting here. I have kicked the devil off of your throat tonight, this morning as well. Thank you. (laughs) But it's your responsibility to keep the devil off of your neck and off of your spirit. Amen. Let's give God praise to your brother as our brother comes.